As we're approaching Thanksgiving, I think uh, today and and next Sunday I'm going to kind of focus on that theme. Uh, We kind of closed a long section in the Gospel of John, and I didn't want to dig into the next one and kind of stop halfway for our Advent season. So I think it's it's a good thing. Uh, We'll be focusing on uh, Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God. Now, this is not a prescribed celebration in the New Testament. Um, but it really does go right along with our Old Testament uh, type of things. Of the three major feasts that uh, Jews were supposed to celebrate according to the law of Moses, two of them were feasts of gratitude. One was celebrated at the very beginning of, the be- of gathering in the harvest. And it was a, a, a celebration and trust that the harvest would be plentiful and that God would provide all their needs and they would have plenty of food to eat. The other one was celebrated. We talked about it in these last chapters in John. The, tab, the Feast of Tabernacles was, or a booths was celebrated at the very end of the harvest when you had finished gathering in everything and people came before God in gratitude for providing everything they needed. So it's certainly within the spirit of scriptural Uh, teaching that we should celebrate a feast of thanksgiving to God and you know as a church next Sunday we'll be eating together sharing food together and giving thanks to God for his provision and and our fellowship that we can enjoy together so as we approach thanksgiving hopefully that's on your heart the idea of expressing your gratitude to God but let's be honest sometimes life is hard And I don't know about you, but the last couple of years have just been weird Uh, and and maybe uh, extra hard for some of us. Uh, Sometimes we struggle with gratitude because life is hard and it's often unfair and often disappoints. It's often not what we want. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're angry because things are not the way you want them to be. Uh, We're going to look today at two brothers and consider how gratitude toward God can make a huge difference in our lives. So uh, we're looking here in Genesis chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first seven verses. I've titled the message today, Worship and Gratitude. And before we start reading the Genesis passage, I want to read this kind of introductory verse from Hebrews that talks about the two characters we're going to be looking at today. In Hebrews 11:4, we read this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So let's go to our passage uh, here in Genesis. I'll start reading verses 1 and 2. Now the man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Then she said, I have created a man just as Yahweh did. Then she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. We pick up the story kind of in a sad part. Uh, the, the opening chapters of Genesis are very hopeful. It is uh, creation. God is speaking into existence a marvelous universe. And uh, he is 
perfectly arranging everything and creating these wondrous spaces, day and night, land and water, sky and ocean. And then he's filling everything perfectly. The sky is filled with stars and the sun and the moon. The oceans are filled with uh, fish and the sky is filled with birds and the land is filled with animals. And God culminates this wondrous creation by creating humankind in his own image and likeness. We can see the crescendo and the, the culminating moment of creation and that moment in which God finally says, it is all very good. But that doesn't last. By the time we get to chapter four, uh, things have changed considerably because God created Adam and Eve and gave them the option to choose a relationship of trust with him. So he said, I'm going to give you one instruction. Let, I'll give you the opportunity to walk in faith with me. There is one tree in the garden. Every, every single other tree in the world is yours for the taking, but that one tree you cannot touch. That one tree, the fruit from that tree, don't eat it. You will die if you eat it. And of course, we know the story. Adam and Eve did the one thing they were told they should not do. They exercised the uh, choice God gave them to disobey and the result was immediate. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They were barred from access to the Tree of Life. So God immediately said, okay, now that sin is a part of your life, you are not going to live forever like this. We may think of that as, as a cruelty on God's part. But can you imagine what kind of horrors we would visit on each other if death were not a reality? We think of life in prison as a horrible thing. What would it be like if you couldn't die and just had to endure the suffering we live in this world under sin forever? And God said, no, I'm not going to let humankind live that way forever. I will bar their access to the tree of life. They were expelled from Eden, and uh, now creation was now under the power of sin and death. And in this situation, Adam and Eve are intimate, as husbands and wives are wont to do, and uh, Eve became pregnant. And this wonder, amazing thing happens that she gives birth to a son. And uh, any of you who are parents and have gone through this know that there's something mysterious and wondrous about giving birth and fathering and mothering a child and bringing a child into the world is uh, nothing short of miraculous. And Eve, we can sense a little bit of what led Eve to disobey God in the beginning. Remember the serpent said, if you disobey God, you'll be like God. You will be your own God. You'll be able to do anything you want. You'll have absolute freedom and you won't have to answer to anybody. You will be your own God. Does that sound familiar to you? That type of lie is still in broad circulation in this world. And uh, she thought that disobeying God, eating from that fruit, would make her more powerful. It didn't. But notice that when she gives birth to a child, the first thing she has to say about it is, I am like God. I created life. 
I have created a man just the way God did. Well, not exactly. God did it with dust. God breathed the breath of life into him. You did none of that, Eve. But, but it's, again, this arrogance on our part that we take what God is doing and assume that it's our accomplishment. To this day, there are Wiccans out there and people very much into paganism who try to throw around this kind of language and they talk about women as goddesses because they have the power to create life. I think biblically what we have is uh, God has granted women the privilege of being the mysterious vehicle by which he brings life into the world. But to say that a woman is creating that life is to way overstep what we are contributing in this process. Eve didn't create Cain, but she did get to give birth to him. Anyway, so this is the world Cain comes into. Cain never knew Eden. They were already expelled before he was born. All he ever knew was a world under the power of sin and death. Life was not even an option. In fact, that's the way every one of us has come into the world since. We are born into a uh, sentence of death. And we all are born knowing we're going to die. Or as soon as we're old enough to be familiar with the concept, we become aware of the reality, the inescapable reality, that sin governs and death will inevitably take every one of us. That can make us kind of angry, can it? That we come into life kind of cheated of the opportunity Adam and Eve had. That we come into life in a world that is already broken and under the power of sin with parents who are still intent on thumbing their nose at God and trying to be God themselves in some form or another. And these are the ones raising us up. Boy, the odds are really stacked against us, aren't they? So she gives birth to Cain. She gives birth to Abel. And we're told two things about them, just kind of their direction in life. Abel apparently was good with animals, and he ended up raising flocks of sheep. Cain apparently was uh, good with plants. He had a green thumb, so he cultivated the ground and, and got sustenance from grain and, and things like that. Let's keep reading the story. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to Yahweh. But Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. And Yahweh was pleased with Abel and his offering. But with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. We see two brothers I mean, how much more similar could they be? They were born to the same parents in the very same household, the very same circumstances in life. And one guy goes after raising sheep and one guy goes after cultivating the ground. That, those are kind of the, the two brothers, but that's their whole background. And uh, there's this very odd 
time marker here. In the course of time, or at the end of days, is I think the way the Hebrew reads. Just like at the appropriate moment, at some moment when it's the appropriate moment to do so, uh, Cain and Abel feel compelled to bring offerings before God. Now, we will notice that even though God expelled Adam and Eve from Eden, uh, he didn't just say, okay, I'm done with you. Get out there and uh, you cannot live forever and that's it. I have closed the book on you. No, when he sent them out, he actually gave them leather clothing. God clothed them to adequately face the struggles they were going to face outside of Eden. So God isn't absent from their lives. Even though sin is now a part of creation, God's good creation, God has not just walked away, he is still present. And Cain and Abel are aware, not only that God is there, but that uh, they have a responsibility to worship him it has been said and I think it's absolutely true that we were created for that we were created with a a bone deep a soul deep need to worship and we as human beings will worship something we will devote ourselves to something Uh, it's often not God It might be something else, but we will give our adoration and our worship and the devotion of our energy and heart and soul to something. Because if we don't have that, our lives have no meaning. We need to live for something. So they're aware of this, and they bring before God their offerings. We're told that Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. The way that's described, it's, it almost sounds like he just kind of ran across it. You know, it's just whatever happened to, to be there. Uh, he just said, okay, well, it's the moment to bring something to God. I'll just grab this and take that. That's kind of the image we get with Cain. Abel, however, is very intentional about what he brings. He picks the firstborn of his flock. Uh, so, you know, when you have sheep and you, the first one is born and that's the one you bring to God, uh, you have no guarantee that that sheep is going to have any more. And generally, the thought is the firstborn is going to be the prime produce of this animal. This is going to be when the animal has its greatest vigor and uh, most procreative uh, abilities and the firstborn is going to be the best of the whole batch. Who knows if anything will come after that. But not only does he pick the firstborn, but among the firstborn of his flock, he picks the best, the fattest, the ones that are most prized of them all. And these are the ones he brings to worship Yahweh. We are told that Yahweh was pleased with two things. He was pleased with Abel, and he was pleased with his offering. We're told about Cain and his offering, that God was neither pleased with Cain, nor was he pleased with his offering. And I think 
the key here is not the type of offering brought. It's not that one was grain and the other was an animal. I don't think that's the difference here or the key difference. I think the difference is the intentionality behind the gift or the offering. Whereas Cain just brings some of the fruit of the ground, Abel very carefully selects the absolute best he has to bring to God. Now you might say, why, why this difference? I can understand Cain. I'm sure his parents sometimes talked about Eden and how amazing it was. And I'm sure Cain felt cheated. Why didn't I get to do that? Why didn't I get to enjoy that? Why wasn't I given the opportunity to make that choice and continue living in a perfect world without all of this? Where the, the creation just produced naturally of its own accord and I didn't have to sweat and toil the way I have to and scrape a living out of this hard earth as my body deteriorates and I know one day my life will end. And uh, so it may be that Cain, when he thinks of God who gave him life, thinks, well, thanks a lot for nothing. Why didn't I get what I could have had? Why wasn't my lot better? And I think that attitude shows in the offering he brings to God. He recognizes God is above me. He's all-powerful. And he grudgingly brings to God an offering. But it's not the best he has to offer. Because in his heart, he has no interest in bringing the best to God. Now, Abel grew up in exactly the same circumstances. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry with God. He could have been upset at the injustice of being born into a broken world. He could have done all of that and blamed God for it. Even though actually it was his parents who were to blame. But he could have blamed God. He didn't. And here's what Abel is doing. You know, he recognizes this is messed up. This world is not what it should be. But God didn't go away. He didn't just abandon his creation to the sin and death that is now permeating it. He didn't walk away from us. He stayed here with us. And because of that, it is not all darkness. Because of that, it is not all sin and death. There is goodness to be found. And God is present and available in the midst of the darkness. And Abel saw that and thought, you know what, I am so grateful that God did not abandon us. I am so grateful that even though there is hardship and even though the world is broken, God did not walk away from us. Even, if it, even though it was our fault, we broke the world. And still God stayed. And Abel's heart is filled with gratitude. He brings to God. Not the last thing he can scrounge up. He doesn't give him the leftovers. He doesn't give him the, the sheep that he didn't like. He picks carefully. He selects the absolute best he has. 
And that is what he brings in worship to God. I think as we approach Thanksgiving, I want us to think about this. How do we deal with the suffering and hardship and injustice that is present in our lives? And let's not be too high and mighty. A lot of our misery is self-inflicted. But let's also be honest, a lot of it is not. We can be angry and bitter and blame God for the horrible things we human beings continually do to one another. Or we can recognize, you know, God didn't even have to stick around. He could have walked away from us and said, you want to do it your way? Have it your way. He could have abandoned us to our sin and our willful, selfish nature. But he stayed here with us. We can adopt Abel's attitude because of that. God, I want to bring you the best I have. You know, God doesn't need anything from us. He's not short on cash. He doesn't need your tithe. He doesn't need your offerings to get his stuff done. You know the reason we give our tithe? You know the reason we give offerings as the opportunity arises? Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because it is better to learn what it is to have a generous heart like God has than to be a a dragonish, greedy, self-centered human being. We benefit from investing ourselves in others. The gift is to us. But we don't bring worship and offerings to God because somehow he's short on cash or because he's insecure and needs us to remind him of how great a guy he is. He doesn't need any of that. He doesn't have our problems. You know what he wants from us? He wants our heart. He wants us to lay it all there before him so that he can take all of that and do something amazing. You know, God is in the restoration business. More than restoration, he's in the rebuilding business. Have you ever seen these shows where they take old clunkers and turn them into some really spectacular, amazing thing? Uh, That's what God's up to. We might think that's the end of the story. Okay, two guys, one guy got it right, one guy got it wrong. One guy, God's going to receive and take care of. The other guy, he does not accept. He's he, this guy, you know, and, and, and if, if that's all you want to bring to God is leftovers and don't bother. God doesn't need that. He wants you. So we might say, okay, that's the end of the story, but you know that's not the end of the story. Let's keep reading the second half of verse 5. So Cain became very angry and his expression was downcast. Then Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to dominate you. But you must subdue it. God could have walked away from Cain, but he didn't. He pleaded with Cain to change course. 
You see, even when we are self-centered and entitled and angry with God and we blame him for things that are not his fault, they're our fault, but we blame him anyway and we turn our backs on him and we despise him, even then God doesn't say, okay, have it your way, I'm done with you. God looks for us and says, think a minute. All you have is anger and shame. That's what sin gets you. Anger, frustration, and shame. Do you want that to be the thing that dominates your life? And God pleads with Cain, don't make that choice. Why do you let this consume your life if you choose the right? Won't things be much better than what you're doing right now? If you turn to me fully. Your life will be very different than it is right now. And God warns Cain. If you reject what I'm saying to you, sin is like a lion crouching at the door. And he is just waiting to tear you to pieces. He wants to absolutely dominate you. Take over your life. Now here's the big lie. We think that we can reject God and the, the way the serpent told Eve. And we'll be our own gods. I'll be God unto myself. I will answer to no one but me. What we find when we do that is that the sins that we begin to uh, commit, the sinful patterns of living, the self-centered, greedy, selfish way we approach life, that begins to dominate our lives and hearts. And soon we realize, I couldn't change course even if I wanted to. I cannot break free from this. Look at famous people. We see it a lot in people who uh, kind of rags to riches stories. They're nobody. They get discovered. They become a super mega worldwide star. And all of a sudden, they can do anything they want. They have all the money they want. People are willing to give them a pass and let them do whatever they want. And they go hog wild doing anything and everything they want. But you know what? If you watch these lives a few years down the road, they crash and burn. Because that sin dominates their lives and destroys their lives. God indicates that that doesn't have to be our story. We can subdue sin. It doesn't have to work that way. And here's the benefit in turning to God with a heart full of gratitude and devotion is that God will receive us and he will grant us victory over sin. And we will not be dominated by sin, but we will, by his grace, be allowed to subdue it. God invited Cain to faith. Life is hard. There's just no getting around it. And even though we are personally to blame for a whole lot of the misery we're enduring, it is true that some of it is not our fault. It was here before we even got here. And it, it's all around us. 
Yes, life is unfair and life is difficult. And we have made it worse personally in so many ways by our own contributions to the problem. Often, we turn to God in anger and want to blame him for this, for this collective weight we have all put on each other of sin. Let me remind you that God could have walked away and didn't. That God has stayed here in the muck and mire of this world with us. And that he has not allowed sin to drown out all goodness. But he has kept the light burning. And he has continued to extend life and light and hope. A very real and genuine hope. An escape from the inevitability of sin's dominion over our lives. He has done everything necessary to purchase us back to himself and rescue us from sin. So as we approach Thanksgiving, let's not focus our hearts on the painful things. Let's not focus our hearts on the unfair things. Let's focus our hearts on the God who is here with us and who brings his goodness to bear in our lives in a million ways. And let's bring before him the kind of worship only he deserves. Let's bring him the best. Jesus talked about the difficulties in navigating life, how we're consumed with concern about uh, what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, how am I going to make it. You know what he said, the, the way we deal with that? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the rest will take care of itself. God is in the business of taking care of it all. But we have to put him first. Abel did that. And even though he lost his life, even though Cain one day let sin so dominate his heart that out of jealousy and hatred and anger, he murdered his own brother, even though that was Cain's story, Abel, even though he died, lives. Because that is what God does with people who turn to him. He guarantees their life eternally. Please join me in prayer. God, thank you that even though we have made such a mess of things, you didn't walk away. And even when we are angry and when we insult you with the way we approach you, you still plead with us to be free from sin. God, give us hearts that turn to you, that latch on to you, desperate, knowing that you are the only hope we will ever have. Take our lives in your hands and do with them something wonderful. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.